Today we're talking cupcakes, yoga, and ending homelessness, amongst other important things. We'll be delving into questions about what does it take to live an authentic, intentional life, and why bother anyway? Like, I don't need to have hope that my doing the right thing today has a result tomorrow. It was always the right thing today. My guest today is Tessa Blakey Whitecloud, Executive Director of One Just City, a not-for-profit in Winnipeg, Canada, with a mandate to actively love the underloved. She holds an MA in political economy and has attended church since she was small enough to hide under the pews. With her husband, she's learning his ancestral Dakota language and facilitating workshops in reconciliation and restitution. Tessa is an athlete, a leader, and a fierce advocate for justice. Welcome. Good to be with you today. Thanks so much for having me. I'm going to start with this question about spiritual and religious as if it's some sort of dichotomy and hoping mm -hmm. uh, that you can tell us which of those words resonates with you or not. Yeah, I think for me, it's not a dichotomy, uh, but I think one of the things that's really key uh, to me in terms of understanding those differences is that I think uh, religious has um, a connotation of togetherness, of practicing togetherness, whereas spirituality, I think so many practices of spirituality around the world are also centered around togetherness. But I think in a Western context, we've really tried to individualize spirituality. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's part of why we're falling into a dichotomy. And I think that spirituality and religion um, or religiosity in terms of those personal journeys are actually both connected to community. And so I think that's one of the ways that I see that dichotomy needing to be broken. Uh, but I also think that for some people, religious has come with a history of exclusion. Religious has come with a history of pain. Uh, and so, you know, as a queer person in our church, church is one of the safest places for me to talk about uh, being queer identified. And so uh, I understand the leaning towards spirituality for so many because they've been harmed by what has been framed as a religion or organized religion specifically. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so interesting that you grew up in a religious tradition that has allowed you to, um, to not have to um, carry that baggage of pain in the same way personally. Uh, yeah, the first adult I came out to as a then using the term bisexual, um, was my Sunday school teacher, actually. And uh, I wasn't talking at that point with many other people in my life about that being my experience. I think I was like 12. Um, and so she threw a diversity uh, party, which her and I knew was kind of for me, um, mm. but was also about talking about the different sexualities that, you know, God created uh, as an expression of love. And so that was really cool. Um, and so to me, that was like religion being this really safe place. And I think people that want to turn towards spirituality as a way to label their spiritual experience is because they didn't have that experience of safety. Wow, what a powerful story. And I mean, I was going to ask you about um, the childhood, the people who shaped you, what it, um, all those influences, and you've already gone there. Uh, but, but would love if, yeah, a bit more of that of, Okay, so how did you become the Tessa you are? What sort of people, whether, you know, in your family, in your church environment, who was it that, that loved you into being that was there for you in that powerful way? And what influences did, did those people have? 
I think, you know, I have this uh, really fortunate opportunity of going to churches and speaking a fair bit in my work with One Just City. And one of the things that I always uh, reference when I talk about my home congregation is that, you know, I can go, I can go there, like, obviously not during uh, pandemics, um, but normally I can go there and have a visit and uh, there'll be somebody who still like pinches my cheeks like I'm five. Um, I'm well into my thirties, uh, but there's like this notion of like, you are home and you are cared for in my home congregation. And that's what we're really trying to offer folks who don't have that experience at one just city is this space of caring. Um, so for me, there's so many, uh, people, uh, in my home congregation, you know, I, I don't think I've ever brought an idea to my ministers that they didn't try to support. Um, mm. I think I had keys to the church building and a security passcode when I was 16. Um, and just like all of this trust and this, this um, care. Uh, but I think, you know, ultimately, if I have to think about who really shaped my faith, um, it's, a, it's a hard battle between my dad and his mom. Mm. Um, so my grandmother was, you know, United Church Woman Leadership, uh, was very active in the church, uh, also was like, had the gossip at the church, um, knew what was going on with who and, you know, who we should be baking extra casseroles for, um, and just was one of those women that saw her role uh, of caring the way that she did for us as grandkids is extending to the entire congregation. Wow. Um, yeah. Talk about a sense of home. Mm -hmm, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You know, so I, uh, often when I'm doing work and I also get to teach, to, uh, speak to United Church women. And it's like, so exciting. Cause, cause they, it just kind of feels like in a way getting to visit with a little bit of who my grandma was when she was still here. Yeah. And for those who don't know, United Church women these days tend to be our more, well, our elders, I guess, right. The senior ladies of the church. Um, tell us about your dad and that influence on you. Yeah, I didn't, so I, think tell, my, I didn't out you about who your dad is, but you can do that. I can for out us. me. That's fine. Yeah. Um. So my father is Bill Blakey, and he's uh was a very long-standing member of Parliament, and then a uh, member of the Manitoba Legislative Assembly. And I think the biggest learning, uh, and continued learning from my dad is that your faith should inform your actions. So, for you know, myself and my father and, and some of my siblings, like we probably could have got, um, cushy jobs <laughs> that were less on the front line, less in advocacy, less in a place of, um, you know, needing to be very careful with how you conduct yourself all the time, because you're in a position of leadership. Um, we could have gone that route and, and all four of us in some way are in very difficult helping jobs. Um, and, you know, because my dad's lesson was if you believe in something and you and you don't see someone else leading the way there, then you you figure out how to lead the way there um, and really committed as a United Church minister by training uh, who ended up in politics uh, quickly quickly after graduation, uh, you know, but his first job was actually at one of the uh, founding charities in one just city, which is North End Stella mission. So it's, it's kind of a cool little legacy there. Uh, but you know, it was really about like your faith informs what you do. So I remember like when I went to Palestine with the United church, with the youth for peace delegation in 2009, many people were like, well, why are you going there? It's unsafe. And I was like, well, but my life is no more value than anybody's life there. So mm -hmm. If, the, if my life being there makes other people's lives around me safer um, and I have an opportunity to, you know, speak truth to the divisions on the ground, um, which like so many people 
that are Jewish, that are uh, Arab Christian, that are Arab Muslim, like love each other and want to be in community and just aren't having opportunities to do that because of other forces, Mm -hmm. um, you know, then, then it makes sense for me to go. Um, And the call was out to, to people of faith to go bear witness. And so to me, that was like an example of like, yeah, like if you're like, you know, if this is what you believe, then you need to also act in a way that reflects that belief. And that was uh, the lesson our dad taught us. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that sounds to me like um, just a perfect example of uh, what it is to be spiritual and religious. What I hear you saying is uh, your, your work and your vocation is, is not by accident. It seems to be informed by what, what you think matters. I'm really intrigued with this idea right now of what do we pay attention to in a world that uh, we're bombarded with so much information. We have everything at our fingertips. Mm -hmm. How do you discern what to pay attention to in the world? I just want to answer one thing that you just Sorry, I'm going to go back two seconds. Yeah, go for it. Um, go for it. <laughs> so one of the things that you said is like this vocation isn't an accident. And I, and I think that one of the things that is also really important is that this vocation also isn't what I would choose. Um, yeah. It's not an accident because this is what our society of now demands. But recently I've started putting in my bio, um, you know, if the world created policy decisions that eliminated poverty, Tessa would bake cupcakes and teach fitness for a living because I love teaching fitness. It's how I paid through university. Um, but also I love cupcakes and, you know, they're good balance <laughs> together. Uh, but like, just to kind of, to challenge this notion, um, cause a lot of the times when I go and do speaking engagements, people are like, Oh, well, the work you do is so important. We're so glad to have you doing this work. And I'm like, I'm not glad to be doing this work. I'm not glad mm. that we built a society where this work is required. I'm glad that, you know, Barbie has a place to sleep tonight. Mm. And I'm glad that John has a meal tomorrow, but I would rather that Barbie had a home and that John was getting enough support to have a dignified life where he didn't rely on a food bank. So tell so, us about the work. Tell us about the One Just City work because people need to know yeah, specifically sure. what you do um, that you'd like to work yourself out of a job at. Yeah. <laughs> so um, One Just City is a coalition of the United Church Outreach Sites in Winnipeg. And so we've been created as a secular nonprofit that kind of draws on our United Church tradition, but also on, you know, humanism and other traditions to work with people who, uh, you know, want to support making sure that until we have great societal change, people's basic needs are being met. And we believe that those basic needs expand beyond, you know, socks, meals, clothing, which is all things we do overnight shelter in winter, all things we do. Um, but expands to having access to education and resources around reconciliation. If you live in Canada, um, to expand to having opportunities to grow as an individual and to give back. So we also have supported volunteerism for folks that are often kind of turned away from volunteering. Um, so it's also about like building sense of community and belonging. And we also believe that everybody should um, be held accountable uh, to be building an inclusive community. So, you know, not participating in cancel culture with guests who haven't had a chance to understand why they shouldn't use certain language um, and trying to build with and work with people sometimes experiencing homelessness on how to also be kind to someone whose gender identity they don't understand. Well, yeah. Um... <laughs> I mean, that goes into the question you avoided or didn't get to yet. Um, Yeah, what voices do you listen to? There's because there's such a, um, 
don't know. I mean, it's probably culture and a little bit just our amygdala at work, but we're so quick to, to try to figure out what boxes to put people in. So I hear you saying you're dealing with communities and individuals uh, who have particular challenges. And um, it sounds like you're not writing people off, even though um, there's, there's moments when, like, like you say, someone's wrestling with homelessness and then says something stupid about someone's gender identity. Uh, how do you deal with those moments? What, how do you show yeah. up with compassion in your heart? How do you not go to preaching, if you will? Yeah, I'll say for the most part, it's my amazing team at One Just City that is actually kind of dealing with those directly um, more often than I am, although mm-hmm. I've, I've been in it too. Uh, I think one of the keys for us, though, is that it's based on having a relationship first. So it's also based on not shaming uh, when something like that happens. You know, it's about like, oh, okay, so, um, hey, like, I wanted to talk to you about the way that you said, why doesn't that person have a job? Like, because, you know, you don't either also have a job. And so like, how are we falling into this trap? And like, and then also like, we have so many people who stay at our shelter who actually do work full time. So it's also about like, why is that person waking up early and getting their breakfast earlier? I want my breakfast earlier. Oh, well, we're trying to make sure that they can get to their job. Um, But like, if you want to leave early in the morning, you're welcome to get your breakfast earlier. (laughs) I'm like, oh no, 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 thanks. Um, But like, just trying to like have people, I think, especially people that, so feel so on their own, mm-hmm. um, you know, people that are struggling to access their basic needs, people that get looked down on by average citizens walking by them, people who, you know, experience different types of bullying within our bureaucratic systems that are supposed to arguably be helping them. Um, you know, they can feel, feel really alone. And, and one of the ways you protect yourself from opening up is through judgment. And so trying to also give them a sense that that when they come through our doors, we would like to know their name uh, if they want to share it. We would like to know their story if they want to share it. We would like to help them further than these basic needs if they're ready for that. Uh, you know, my colleague Josh said it best recently that COVID, we've like had four service expansions during COVID and we're, we've really grown to try to meet the need. But one of the things that's changed is that we don't feel like we're in transformational relationship anymore as much because we're not having those opportunities to visit and talk things through. So we're looking forward to that uh, coming back, but it is, you know, it's not just, Hey, here's some food. It's, Hey, let's build a friendship and a connection. Our our most active volunteer role is called an active listener. Mm -hmm. And their job is literally just to build friendships with folks. Wow. Yeah. Important work. Now, I just want to take a, you know, move a little different angle here. And so you're doing great work. Um, and I'm just trying to decide where to go first. Do I go to the cupcakes first? Yeah. Let's go to the cupcakes first. <laughs> Cause actually, I mean, I hear you in terms of if we lived in a world that, um, where people's basic needs were met. And I know you've been an advocate for, um, minimum universal basic universal basic income for a long long time um but how do you keep at the the struggle if you Mm. will how uh, do you hit the wall sometimes um where do you dig deep um to keep doing this work of transformation and relationship well and I think one of the things that's interesting in this work for me is that I'm not always frontline. Like I'm, 
I'm, I cover holidays. So I'm on site when that happens. Uh, you know, if something really, the other day we lost heat inside the shelter and it was, you could see your breath inside. I was definitely like, you know, working through that together with folks. Um, but for the most part, I, uh, I'm not always with the people we're actually serving and supporting Mm -hmm. who we call guests. We try to avoid clients and participants. Cause again, we're trying to like extend that for us in our origins, that kind of that United church hospitality or that Christian hospitality. Right. Um, so for our guests. And so when I get jaded, I just spend a day on site and I watch, uh, you know, I watch Roger when it's like fresh clothes day and he gets to get new gitch and how excited he is. And I, you know, hear Janine talk about how our programming helped her get sober. And now she's getting visitation rights back with her kids, you know, and I, and I get to like hear, so like, even though I want grand systems change, mm-hmm. this worth is work it. This work is worth it right now uh, for the folks that whose life it's impacting. And so it's really easy to get unjaded. Yeah, just get back to the ground. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I had a question and I lost it, but uh, let me just life. Yeah, it is like well, and actually that's kind of the. COVID mindset, right? Like I do, um, I'm curious to know how you, uh, I hear the loss of the face-to-face, the actual, you know, you can't hug people in your work relationship these days. Um, how, let's, let's move to Tessa. I mean, you're working from home now. You're, yes, you're so fortunate to have a job. How yeah, have, totally. <laughs> um, how have you f- faced the struggles this year? Ha- has it been easy for you? Have you found that there's been things that have come up for you, um, that have ha- made you have to reevaluate or look to sources for, okay, how am I going to learn how to get through this? My old ways aren't working anymore. Any of yeah. <laughs> I think, um, one of my friends very early in the pandemic started Wednesday morning dance parties at 8am. Mm. on zoom so you you got dolled up um I it was really really torturous that she picked 8 a.m but it was worth it to wake up for and uh and since then it's evolved into like several different dance parties I I'm an extrovert who lives with two introverts um (laughs) so they've been like you know pretty comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so another thing I did regularly was like book phone calls with friends at four and then force myself to leave the house on a walk on a phone call. Um, we just, we just went through like a week and a half here where it was so cold. I didn't go outside on purpose Mm. ever. Um, uh, but I went on my first walk again today. So that was nice. And I, I think one of the things that's also happened is I brought my yoga practice home. Um, so thanks to some amazing YouTube yoga, uh, and then just trusting my own understanding. So yoga is not something I ever taught. Um, and so always just been a practice, a a student, Mm -hmm. um, but bringing that home with a bit of an intentional journaling practice, just to kind of have that process and debrief that you might have at work. Right. Uh, and then one of the things that's interesting, so Wonder City has three locations and an overnight space in one of those locations. Uh, so the decision was made earlier on that, yeah, it didn't make sense to me to travel between all three. Uh, just we're trying to make sure, you know, because we are doing shelter and uh, food like provisions, we got to stay open. Uh, so at reduced capacity, but like 50%, not reduced capacity like other places experienced. So the risk of transmission was high and bringing it around was kind of high. So that was, 
interesting. I think the hardest part for me has been having family and friends going through health challenges and not being able to support or visit in the ways that I might once have. Mm. Um, and then both my grandma and my dog passed away during COVID. And so those were hard to also not get to mourn in the way that you might normally. Um, but I think one of the things that's been really essential and really good, like when we were debriefing as a team at a couple different locations, when we talked about what's been really good with COVID, a lot of people said boundary setting has been easier. And I think it's this interesting thing where I'm hoping coming out of this time that people have a better sense of their capacity to say no um, or not right now. Uh, and I think that for me and some of what I normally take on, uh, it will look different after COVID. I've, I've enjoyed having more uh, just time on my hands to to do things. It's, yeah, it's a question that, of course, came up really early in the pandemic is who are we going to be on the other side of this? And um, I think it's a really, I think we're into it long enough now that people are actually starting to say, well, we already are different. So it, we don't, <laughs> there's no going back mm -hmm. to who we were. Um, so yoga practice, you're a bit of an athlete, right? Like, I, I, is it true that you're a wrestler? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I was just talking to my wrestling coach recently. Like what? Um, he's also a, a huge man of faith and that his faith, faith definitely informed, uh, a lot of my belief in taking action wherever you could, because that's the kind of guy he is for sure. Um, but yeah, so I, I was a, a wrestler in high school. I went to Canada games in 2005. Um, I was unfortunately in a bad car accident that ended that uh, wrestling career in 2007. Uh, but then it was interesting because that actually led me to doing personal training because one of the things that I noticed was uh, I was failing something called a park queue, which is what personal trainers do before they start working with you because of my car, car accident injuries. And that meant nobody could work with me. And then it was this interesting moment. Cause I was like, what's happening to people with developmental disabilities. And so I ended up doing personal training for several years with folks with developmental disabilities. And then that led into teaching kind of general fitness classes. So yeah, I definitely am still do. I have a weight routine <laughs> that I do. It's, it's, uh, you know, sometimes I do it to master chef and sometimes I do it in a very meditative state. It depends on the day. Uh, but, uh, still, still trying to get long walks in. I just completed a winter triathlon for work. So we have an event called beat the cold. Um, and you do 15 kilometers outside any three sports you want. And you're that's let's remember in Winnipeg. Um, in Winnipeg. And uh, yeah, it was like, it also during the cold snap was the window you had to get it done. We had 142 participants though. Um, wow. so it was phenomenal. So I've been doing lots of cross-country skiing, uh, again, just trying to make the best of what we got. Uh, which is a lot of winter here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and my husband and I have fat bikes. So we uh, go for bike rides uh, a lot because mm -hmm. those you can ride on the snow. Um, right. And uh, yeah, just also remembering, you know, I think in the pandemic, like I'm feeling moody. Have I been outside? Have I moved my body? Oh, okay. Like, let's go do that and then see how I feel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's so important, right? Pay attention. Um, your body will tell you how you're doing. So you, you had a, a terrible car accident. Um, you were pretty young when that happened, like, right? Like 18. Just, yeah. Um, yeah. I guess I'd, I'd like to ask you about, you know, whether it's a car accident or other stuff. If there's, you're doing such amazing things with your life. You're doing so much helping. Um, 
you're human in there. <laughs> when, <laughs> are there moments that you've found, you know, that life has just brought you to your knees? Are there moments when um, you've wondered, I-, I need to recreate myself or I've hit a rock bottom of sorts and I've got to figure out how to find a new way from here? Is that an experience that you've had in your short life? Uh, so I think like when my, so I, I live with chronic pain as a result of the car accident. Uh, and I managed to get out of pain, like predominantly in 2014. So it wasn't like a daily experience anymore. It was like, Oh, every once a couple months, I might have a small flare. Um, and then in 2017, uh, (laughs) I had too much fun water sliding one day and I strained my neck a little and my pain came back. Um, and, uh, I'm, I'm still in that, uh, that's still Mm -hmm. kind of a daily experience now. And when it first came back, I, uh, it hadn't been there in so long. So I had this, this energy level, I had a schedule that was like completely untenable to me. Now, um, I was, I was teaching almost full-time at the university of Winnipeg, well working full-time. Um, and, uh, I had, I let go of teaching shortly thereafter, but I think, you know, it, it was something that just was like, Oh, like, Oh my goodness. Like I, I have to start saying no to all of these things, including saying no to people who I have, who I have let rely on me. Mm. Um, and I have to figure out how to get them to either rely on someone else or start to rely on themselves. Um, I have to, you know, just like I, I, my, a lot of my friendships changed because many of my friendships were centered around being physically active together. And there was a solid year there where that wasn't just like, was not even an option. Um, again, which like I experienced when I was 18 and 19, but experiencing it again in my late twenties. Um, and it was, it was like, yeah, it was not good in terms of not in terms of the physical side of it. Cause I was like, I've gotten out of pain before I know how to do this. And now I'm like more skilled and resourced. So I'm not taking, um, a type of painkiller that I had no last time end up, I ended up having stomach problems from, right? Like I, I have better skills, um, mm-hmm. for pain management and meditation and mindfulness and all of these skills that I spent, you know, my twenties building to get out of pain the first time. So it's like, I'm really ahead of the game, but in terms of my sense of self, when my sense of self was in an extension to other people, as opposed to a sense of self kind of alone. Um, and that was and continues to be something that I'm that I'm figuring out um paralleled in there uh you know I had a family member get a cancer diagnosis and so it was just like how do I figure both of these things out and want to be who I would normally show up as for this person and also still need to be someone who's taking care of me first Um, and, uh, thank goodness for great podcasts. Uh, one of them I'll quote Victoria Albino wellness says, uh, me first, you second with love. Mm, Words to live by. (laughs) Yeah. And so this notion of trying to, uh, cause, cause when I'm, when I'm a hundred percent, it isn't really that I need to be spending a ton of time taking care of me, you know, and you know, part of that is that I have a lovely husband and, all we do is play together. And so like my social and physical health needs, you know, we're, we're getting met in, in a bunch of varieties ways, but I think that, um, yeah, just being able to say, Oh, actually I can't do that. Uh, cause I need to do this other thing for me. And that's totally justified. Mm. So breaking a bit of codependency by accident, 
Um, well, of course, so much of what we learn in life is by accident, right? It's, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. The best intentions. I mean, there's no better way to, um, to change than to find you've got no choice, but to, to change. I want to go back to that 12 year old who had the brave courage to come out to your Sunday school teacher. Um, you know, I, I'm the mother of kids who are just a little older than that at this stage. And, and I marvel at how, I suppose every generation says this, how different the world is, how they're <laughs> teachers to me about uh, what it looks like to be truly welcoming and inclusive. Uh, but I, I'm curious about what, um, first of all, why you were brave enough to speak that. Um, and then I guess also, how does that standing in that identity that you name at this stage in your life as queer, uh, how, yeah, how is that in this world? Um, and how, is it an identity that's in the background? Is it something you feel you need to, um, you're a role model for younger mm. kids for it? I don't, I'm so hetero passing <laughs> that yep. I sort of, I sort of feel like I'm not a role model on it, uh, at this stage in my life. Certainly when I, um, had female partners, I think that was a bit different, but, um, yeah. So for me, it's just, it's, it's kind of this weird thing, uh, that probably is totally normal for a lot of other people, but in my circle was weird. Like I just never really recognized gender that well. Um, I was a tomboy through and through. And whenever we had to line up in boy and girl lines, I'd like stand in the middle, be feeling awkward because all of my friends were in the boy line. Um, mm. in, in, you know, until kind of like grade three, when like friendships really became gender segregated. Uh, but yeah, my mom talks about like me being a five-year-old being annoyed that I couldn't be in the boy line, um, and, and coming and complaining and not, not getting it. Uh, mm -hmm. so I think today, like, uh, you know, I, I'm, I feel fully accepted as who I am in my, but I'm in a monogamous, like a monogamous heterosexual <laughs> marriage. Um, uh, and my husband's tradition in the Dakota tradition, they, uh, you know, revered people that uh, were queer identified. They don't use the language of two-spirit in Dakota because um, they understand queer identities to sort of be above spirit. So like male and female only exists in our physical form. Um, and so, uh, but in Dakota teachings, it's, it's, a, it's not something to, you know, look down or frown upon. And so uh, my husband was like totally cool with that, which was great. Um, but I'm very hetero passing. So I don't feel like a role model. Yeah. I sort of feel though, like there's so many other amazing women leaders I know that are also hetero passing. Um, and part of that is because it's like, you know, a little bit easier probably to find a heterosexual partner. Um, but I think another part of that is just that we're all like living our truth and our partners are a reflection of who we fell in love with and not necessarily a reflection of our sexual identities. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think to me, it's pretty like it is. And I, I'm pretty lucky. I don't really like I have a lot of queer identified friends um, and a lot of hetero friends that would identify as allies. And so it's not something I hear a lot of flack about, but when I do, I also recognize with my hetero passing privilege, it's my place um, to try to say something and try to bring someone around. And so it is, uh, it is an awkward conversation I often get myself into in new circles. I mean, that, 
I'm hearing a congruency uh, all throughout your um, life, which I, I think is what we all hope for. Uh, but what I'm hearing is this piece of, uh, well, I guess one of the words I like to use, you know, I think of this of justice and mercy and, and you are about the work of justice, but it seems as though if I would were to define mercy, I mean, it's more of um, a, a generosity of spirit and love that that flows from us. And I hear that you're starting from that place that you start with relationships, you start with who, what's the moment I'm in, who's before me, and um, take on the justice issues as your um, sort of as a second step. But I guess I'm just, you know, maybe I'm projecting hmm. on you, but I'm hearing. I someone, like it. That, yeah, that projection I, made me feel nice. Well, I I mean, I, I think there's a, um, something there for us to all pay attention to that, um, if we're able to show up to one another as other human beings, um, Mm -hmm. and dare to step into those relationships, then beautiful stuff can happen and transformation can happen. Um, anyway, I'm getting kind of preachy, but no, I like it. I think one of like, for me, when I think about core values, my first core value is authenticity. And I think, um, and it's something I struggle with to make sure I'm not getting falling into autopilot and falling into programming and habit as opposed to intentionality. Um, but you, if you're showing up authentically, you're showing up with intention. Um, and if you're showing up authentically, you're recognizing that that takes work and you're recognizing that people who've experienced trauma, people who have experienced oppression, uh, oppression is a form of trauma. So it's sort of redundant, but you get what I'm saying like people have challenges to showing up authentically. And so you need to wait it out. Um, and then try to get connection from a place of authenticity. And so I think, you know, it's really easy to just kind of run, uh, through a whole day and think, Oh, like, did I even take a deep breath? Did I make sure that my partner felt how I want my partner to feel? Did I check in on my mom? Like whatever. Um, did I check in on myself? Did Mm -hmm. I, did I stop the to-do list because I just needed 15? Um, you know, and so I think to me, it's really important to try to do what is best for me so that I can show up. Um, I, another little quote, my friend, Mary Moore and I are reading, uh, we're doing a book club together. Actually, the book's called Spiritually Sassy. Um, okay. we're, we're doing a book club together and uh, she was doing some reflecting on what, what healthy love looked like. Um, and she said, healthy love looks like a cup that's flowing over and you love from the overflow. Mm, mm. And so really working on how do I make sure that I'm filling my cup and loving from the overflow? Yeah. Yeah. That's a gorgeous image. Um, Do you have any hope uh, that you will, not like any hope, but (laughs) are you in an existential crisis right now? (laughs) No, I was actually just going to ask if you think there will ever be a day when you can mostly teach yoga and bake and eat cupcakes. Um, do you, so it's, you know, hope for the world. Do do you think this struggle, um, Mm. for the justice you're trying to bring about is, is going to be a tireless life's journey? I think it's interesting. I think that pandemic showed us that we could actually reach homelessness zero 
Um, because when it became a risk of con- like infection, it all of a sudden we had enough housing uh, or shelter at least. Uh, and so I think like we've shown that there is capacity where there's a will. Uh, I think we've seen huge shifts in people's, I hope, awareness of um, how government affects culture and how we therefore ought to be more careful about who's in government. Um, I think that I have no idea whether to have hope or not. Mm. Uh, and, and so for me, and this is going to sound weird, um, maybe, but for me, hope isn't important. Uh, more. (laughs) yeah, (laughs) like I don't need to have hope that my doing the right thing today has a result tomorrow. It was always the right thing today. I, th- I think that's the place to end. I, <laughs> like, I mean, what more um, do we need to live by? You know, people talk about how we need to learn to live in the moment, how this day is the gift that we have. Um, and I haven't heard it articulated quite that way before. But what I actually, what I hear you saying is this total break from the pretty much the worldview that every last one of us is steeped in, whether we realize it or not, that it's a transactional world where I will do good deeds if I get hope in return. Uh, um, So it's refreshing to hear that it's enough for you to show up each day, do the right thing. Do you have anything and to apologize when I... I didn't manage to do it also, but you know, <laughs> to own yeah, it when for... that doesn't work out, but to try. Yeah. Yeah. We won't, um, I won't interview the, um, your mother-in-law and husband to ask, um, <laughs> just how much you live up to all you've said today. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for showing me your human side, Tessa, your authenticity uh, and for sharing that with with those who are willing to listen it's a, a blessing to be in your presence thanks so much for having me 